Combo, combo, combo nation. I said it three times because we dropped back to back to back episodes of Combos Court. That's right. Mostly talking NBA playoffs. Hope you are all enjoying the playoffs. Hope you are all enjoying Combos Court. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Welcome to episode 368. Today's show, Brian Damaris of the Take That With You Mavs Pod joins in to talk about Coach Jason Kidd, Luka Doncic, NBA trends, and more fantastic conversation with Brian. Intro music by Luka Beats. Let's get into it. Luka, don't do it to him. Brian Damaris, former Mavs Director of Basketball Development, co-host of the Take That With You Mavs pod. Welcome to Combos Court, man. How are you feeling today? Good to be here. Excited about the playoffs. You should be excited. What was your day-to-day like when you worked with the Mavs? Uh, I did analytics before analytics was cool. We were the first team in the NBA to do analytics, so I was uh, mainly doing that. I did some international development, ran the uh, Global Games uh, basketball tournament we did in the summer, which was the uh, under-21 Olympic teams for every team in the country. We had uh, Chris Bosch and uh, Carlos Boozer and Yao Ming uh, back in the day, back in the early, mid-2000s. Can you explain the European influence, the international influence on the game? Because actually, in my opinion, I talked about this before. I have a good idea about European basketball because I played overseas for about 10 years. So I understand the game. But the three things that I think change the current game the most, the modern game, is basketball analytics, European basketball, and Steph Curry. (laughs) I don't know if you agree with that, but uh, what do you feel the impact on those things have been on the game? I think that's 100% correct. I mean, just the, the last one, Steph Curry, I think we haven't even seen the full impact of that yet because any kid who is, you know, 8 to 14 that, you know, looked like me and didn't, wasn't 6'5", uh, back in the day, we, we didn't have a route. But now you have a route to play because you can just bomb it away. And they're all shooting from long range. And so as the elite ones get better, they're going to – continue to get in the college game, get into the international game, get into the NBA and shooting is just going to become better and better. I mean, as you know, how many times do we talk about a player and say, yeah, but if he, the only thing he's missing is shooting, right. which is crazy to think about. Well, that's not going to be an issue as we continue to see all these kids come through and we've, we've seen a little bit of it and we're going to see more and more because it's just continuing. But uh, in analytics, obviously we know that's changed everything in terms of how uh, organizations are now run by people that are analytics based, you know, Daryl Morey and others. Um, it's not just a guy in the back office that, that, you know, you look at um, and it's changed the way you run offenses. It's changed the way uh, literally everything's done from scouting on down. And then obviously the international game, look at the, uh, the top three players in the MVP voting this year, all international players. Uh, and number five was an international player in Luca. Um, and so you have, you know, going from Dirk coming in, uh, in 99, who was 
a pass face the basket and shot threes uh, to, you know, centers who can shoot from long range and, you know, the, the style of play, you know, when Luca got in, remember Luca was the, the uh, third pick in the draft. Why was he? People thought he had reached his ceiling because he was, you know, slow and, and, but he even says this game is easier for him because you can pack the paint as you know, in Europe yeah. and you can't do that. Now the spacing is better. So um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with all three of those. Most definitely staying on Luca. Um, I've been high on Luca pre-draft. I said it, I actually posted on my IG stories, a little throwback um, post I had about this guy will be the best player in this draft. It looks like that is the case um, right now. In my opinion, there's no clear number one guy, but I would say that Luca has the best chance to solidify that. I say that because if the Boston Celtics win the championship, it'll be more of a balanced effort. And I don't think anybody would really have Tatum as the number one guy in the league. Maybe I'm wrong, but if the Mavs win the championship, Luka Doncic is that guy. Well, if you're talking about teams that are left, I think Luka yeah. is the best player out there. Right. And so right. that's, I don't think that's a question. Although Tatum has played really, really well in the playoffs and it's coming up strong, but um, you know, he's in the top seven discussion. I don't know if he's in the top five discussion. Uh, if you're talking about, if you're bringing in age and everything else in the equation, then I think Giannis and Luca are right there in terms of who you'd start a franchise with right now. Obviously you have uh, Durant, Steph and, and, and Bede and Jokic and all those guys. But uh, I think if you're talking age, where they are, um, how they play, then those two, you know, you can flip a coin. Jason Kidd, the public reaction to the hiring of Jason Kidd was interesting. He's obviously done a great job. Side note, I think he's one of the most underrated basketball players of all time. But in terms of coaching, do you feel he brought more of an analytical approach to the game this season? I think he brought a more analytical approach than people thought he would. I don't okay. think he came in uh, with that, but if people know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the game planning, uh, he has that in his mind. If you look at the Utah series, for example, um, you know, their defensive strategy was to run them off the three point line, make them shoot twos. They shot almost half the number of twos. They usually shoot in a series in that game. And so we were perfectly willing to trade threes for twos. We knew that the approach was going to be, listen, we're going to get killed on the glass. They have good they have more length. So how do we make up for that rebounding disadvantage? We're going to make it up on the turnover side of the ball. We're going to make it over by killing them. And we were a plus 132 for the series from the three-point line. So uh, he has brought a more analytical approach than I think people thought he would. But I think the main driver of what he did when he came in, and he even did said this after game seven against the Suns, he credits Frank Vogel uh, so much for his transformation as a coach in terms of teaching him to chill out basically and realize what he can't control, how he needs to relate to superstar players like LeBron, like Luca, um, you know, because he, he, he had issues in his first two stops. Let's just be honest with what his coaching style and he's changed a lot and he's really changed the culture. He's, he's instilled confidence, uh, positivity. That doesn't mean he's a player's coach and a pushover, but he, he wants players to play in character uh, be who they are. And you saw that with Spencer Dinwiddie having 30 points in game seven, not playing really well the rest of that earlier in that series. But Jay Kidd saying, listen, just be who you are. It'll come around. Here's the positions we can put you in to make you successful. 
having players role is accepting their role and knowing how to execute that role really well. I think he's done a great job at Jalen Brunson Spence are so important to this team, but staying on Spence when he's at his best, he's like, maybe not all-star level, but right there, it just comes to the consistency with him. What do you feel like his impact has been on this team? Yeah. I mean, I like to trade from the start and I seem to be in the minority on that because, mm. you know, look at, you know, Karis LeVert cost, you know, cost a one in that same tread line line and Dimley is a better player. Uh, and you're, you know, you're looking at a contract in Porzingis where could have easily been forced to attach a one to, to get off of him. So uh, I, I loved it. It's a wing league. You now add a third playmaker. You can play three playmakers at once. If you want, you can always have two playmakers on the court at one time. You solidify your non-Luca minutes, which is now Dimwitty and Brunson in the game at the same time with, an area of real concern. If you look last year in the clip, we got killed when Lucas sat on the bench. So he had to play more and more and got worn out as the series and games went along. So his impact is when Luca's not on there, it's about being an additional playmaker, about being a guy who is absolutely not scared of driving into the lane and, and opening things up for the shooters on the outside or getting fouled himself and getting the bucket. Um, absolutely unconscious and also play off the ball and catch and shoot. I think a lot more than people thought he could. Was the subtraction of Porzingis more important than bringing in some of these guys that they brought in just from like a team morale standpoint. And I still believe in Porzingis as a player, but it didn't seem to be the right mix with Luca. Yeah. It just didn't seem to fit the way Porzingis wanted to play mm -hmm. you know, this year. He basically had a confab with, with management coaches and said, I want to go down the post more. And so they said, okay, let's try that. But the problem is Dwight Powell there in the post and he's in the post and Luca needs to drive. And so you have too many people clogging the lane. It just wasn't working. Um, so yes, I do believe in him as a player, but it, it's in the right system for him. And I don't know that Dallas was the, the, so when you look at how they're playing defensively now and just running guys off the three point line, rotating around, um, Porzingis just, can't play that style he's not quick enough to, to pull that off he's a rim protector and you want to kind of play a different way so the the best way the Mavs play defense he couldn't do and I think that's a that's a real key thing to keep in mind and of course we just talked about how it is offensively and how it was a little bit clunky the way Porzingis wants to play earlier when Rick Carlisle was here they played more of a pick and pop style uh, which made sense but then you saw the Clippers take him out of that because they put some length on him and basically neutralized that and so he was a deep coin the corner so that didn't work really well so uh, i don't think it was as much off the court as just really x's and o's on both sides of the floor on the court the majority had the suns beating the mavs what was your reaction to game seven uh, obviously like everybody i was surprised i didn't expect the Mavs blowout i thought that <laughs> if they played their game and they set the tone and they shared the ball and got people involved early uh and were able to keep a body on Aiton and continue to play especially early against Booker and take them out of their comfort zone that we would win the game. But I didn't expect it to be, uh, you know, a 46 point game at one point. I think that we just, you know, uh, I say we, the Mavs sucked the life out of them and got them so frustrated early, taking them out of their offense. Uh, you saw Aiton's frustration boil over. Chris Paul was worn down because of what the Mavs were doing, uh, making him work on the defensive end that they just lost their spirit. I mean, the Suns obviously weren't at their best, but in my opinion, the Mavs at their best were better than the Suns at their best. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean, we saw with the Suns at their best 
can do earlier in the series they blew out the Mavs but they all have to be they all have to be working at a high level and if anybody is off like Booker then the others you know and Paul frankly both of those players have to play great for them to win when one of them doesn't I don't know that the the sum of the other parts can can carry him uh and when the Mavs are clicking when they're and they they have a firm belief in this that when they are playing their best, they can beat anybody. And I don't know that they're scared of anybody that's left out there. I mean, the Golden State's absolutely tough. Boston and Miami, they're all fantastic teams. But if they know that they're sharing the ball, putting two feet in the paint, finding open shooters on offense, and and playing that aggressive defensive style, that uh, they can play with anybody. This is not really a deep basketball take. It's more of my uh, New York City mentality coming out here. But why do people mess with Luka? Like, just leave that guy alone, you know? Once you start messing with him, it's it's over. Do you think that was a big mistake for Devin Booker to act that way? I mean, we saw what he did to the Clippers, right, when the Clippers tried to intimidate him. Like, I would just say to teams, like, let him play. Like, don't try and intimidate the guy. That's not working. Yeah, people have to remember, you know, he's 23, but he, as you know, he's been through the wars in Europe. That's a different game over there. They play <laughs> tough. Yeah. And he's seen it all. You know, he's as CJ McCollum tweeted, you know, he's seen rocket launchers in arenas, uh, in fireworks and, and yeah. anything you can imagine. Um, and he did it at a very, very young age, you know, winning Eurobasket at the age of 17. So um, he's not afraid of anything. And, and as even said, post game after game seven, the trash talking gets him going. That, that is fun for him. And so, yeah, you're just poking the bear there. And I think Draymond is a guy that might poke the bear. I don't, I don't think I see anyone else really on that team making that mistake, but I could see Draymond maybe doing that. Yeah, I don't know if, if a pool or somebody is, is too young and maybe thinks he can do it. Um, but, you know, Draymond is going to be a really interesting, you know, watch here because he's so emotional and he can't really control it. And so does he sucker the Mavs into something? that they don't want to do physically and get somebody in an attack or a flagrant or vice versa. Um, You know, does he get an early foul trouble because he's a defender and maybe he's trying to do too much. Um, That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out because we saw in the sun series, it got really chippy uh, in in there between the Mavs and the Suns, and that, you know, these series, especially when they're competitive and they go long, they, they breed that contempt and we'll see how that plays out. Um, we saw the Suns. They have some pretty good tools that you thought maybe they could throw at Luka. I mean, do you think it's going to even be worse off for the Warriors here? I don't really see anybody staying in front of Luka. I'm sure they'll throw Wiggins on him, maybe. I think that's their best option, and then he'll just switch off and and pick pick on Curry all the time. And, yeah. Uh, or pick on Poole. Um, you know, Clay is a step slower now. Yeah, still, he'll get to where he needs to get to. I don't think he's there yet. You can't afford, you know, to put Draymond on him because of the, the foul trouble early. Uh, I mean, you may see that some, but, you know, his ability to just navigate who he wants and pick and roll and, and get the switch because they're going to play, they're going to switch. They're going to play like they did against um, Harden in those peak Rocket Warriors series. Uh, and so it's going to be, it, I think it's going to be uh, a challenge for the Warriors defensively. Do they just let Luca get his and stay home on shooters, which the Suns tried to do earlier in the series? But there's just a psychological aspect of you can only let that happen for so long. If he just is living and scoring and scoring, do you finally have to throw 
extra bodies at him and get the ball out of his hands. And then you get in the blender defensively and that's when the problems start. And that's when we have our open three pointers. That's interesting. Uh, I know you're a Mavs guy, but from the Warriors perspective, what do you think is best? I think you early on should maybe let him cook and, mm. and, and, and stay home because the Mavs are at their best when everybody's touching the ball and it's flowing and those three pointers are wide open. And, and the biggest determinant of whether a three is going to go in is how open it is. And we live in the corners, you know, Bullock, uh, Finney Smith took the third most corner threes in the NBA this year. Bullock took the sixth most, you know, we live on those three pointers. So, um, but it's going to be a challenge because they, you know, the warriors are going to have a hard time staying in front of Luca. We just, we saw what he did uh, against the Suns. What do you feel like the keys are defensively for the Mavs? How they're going to handle Curry. We saw in the last regular season game in the fourth quarter, they trapped the ball out of his hands and made others, uh, beat him and Curry didn't have a single field goal attempt in that loss by the, by the Warriors. So, uh, can they do that with pool clay and that death lineup? And, uh, in that game that I just mentioned, you know, Draymond wasn't in it and he's such an important kind of point forward for them in distributing the ball. So, um, do they, how often do they do that? Do they wait to the fourth quarter to do that? Or, or do they do that earlier? Uh, making it really hard for Curry to kind of start the offense and make the others beat you because we have seen that since I'd say, you know, mid February pools really come along and that, that, that death lineup where they're playing all those smalls uh, they can beat you. If we do get put in a blender ourselves by, by trapping. Is it fair to call them the death lineup? It's not the original, but it's a it's a nice it's a nice uh, junior facsimile. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, how do you see this series going? I mean, would you be surprised either way? No, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I uh, I think it's Mavs in six. I think they're able to steal one there and then and then go from there. Um, but it's going to be a really tough series with a bunch of close games going down going down the stretch. I think. Um, the Warriors are going to be more focused than they were. They kind of played with their food a little bit once Durant, uh, once Morant rather went out. You saw in that uh, game four, they were, uh, you know, just fiddle faddling around until they finally won the game late. And I think thought they could do that later, got blown out in game five and then took care of business and finally snapped out of it in game six. So, um, you know, the Lucas Steph matchup is going to bring out the, the best in both of them. And then it's going to really be, a lot of small ball. I think Looney and Powell are going to start the games against each other, but it's going to be a lot of small ball from there out where it's either Kleba playing the five, or it's going to be Finney Smith and Bullock in there with the three playmakers and playing micro ball for the Mavs and seeing who can basically run and gun and spread it out more uh, and hit their shots offensively and who's, you know, more effective in their defensive strategies. We talked a little bit about all the impacts on the modern game. You know, obviously we're, three-point heavy league now but where do you see this league going are there any trends bubbling up in your opinion i think the trends are are off the court in terms of of health and and uh player performance mm. and in terms of trying to maximize you know recovery and and longevity of careers and things of that nature um on the court you know there is a limit to how many threes you can take as a percentage of your shots and the analytics nerds argue that it's, you know, maybe it's around 65% of shots and we're seeing teams routinely shoot half their shots now from three. So I still think there's, there's some more threes that can, that can happen. Um, you know, 
-hmm. are we going to get, we've seen centers kind of reemerge, at least on the top end with Embiid and Jokic and, and Giannis, if you want to call him a five. Uh, so do they creep back into the game somewhat and, and we don't get as positionless or, or are we getting more uh, continue the positionless trend? So that's kind of what I see, you know, in the game. Brian, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Yeah, Twitter, B. Damaris on Twitter. Uh, same thing on Instagram. We got the Take Dad With You podcast, D-A-T-W-I-T. We're, we're uh, for Mavs fans recording those after every single game. I'm doing Valley Sports Southwest post game after every game and locally on Dallas on the ticket pregame before every game. So I'm, I'm throwing down the content everywhere. You're working, Brian. You're working. That's it. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back and talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court Podcast. Big shouts to Brian for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, get this done for me, man. Get this done for me. Share this episode. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. You could tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. That's right. If you listen to this episode in its entirety, take a screenshot, post it on your stories, and tag me. Share it in your basketball group chats. Share it everywhere, man. Appreciate you all, and be on the lookout for episode 369. Combo out.